welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me from the negative zone is Hamish. I'm, I'm actually a pretty positive person, you know, oh, okay. if, if people get to know me. Actually, I'm lying. I'm always negative and oh, cynical. Uh, see, it's like, it's, I'm it's a negative opposite guy. Land. It's, it's an opposite land. Yeah, I guess. Is that how negative zone works? <laughs> the negative zone where all your positivity is drained out of you. Bad to talk to you. That's bizarro land, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Bizarro no, world? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for this episode of the podcast, we're continuing our two-part look at a Saturday morning cartoon block that ran in the mid-90s, the Marvel Action Hour. Now, in a previous episode, we watched an episode of Iron Man, the animated series, which was the first episode of the Marvel Action Universe block that aired on the morning of Saturday, November 4th, 1995. So now, for this episode of the podcast, we will be covering an episode of Fantastic Four, the 1994 animated series, that aired directly following that episode of Iron Man. So, you know, a couple of serial and toy commercials, and now we get this episode. So if you haven't already, check out our previous episode where we break down and review the Iron Man episode entitled Iron Man on the Inside and talk all about that series. And also we get more into the Marvel Action Hour, Marvel Action Universe Saturday morning cartoon block in that episode. So check that out and learn all about shrink rays and all that good stuff. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) Pew. No, okay, that was nice. I was trying to jazz it up. That was very jazzy. Thank you. Okay, so on to our next show, Fantastic Four. Now, as mentioned previously, this was an episode of the 1994 animated series that we watched. Uh, the Fantastic Four as a team, they've had their own show uh, four times so far. There was one in 1967. They had one in 1978. This one that we're going to be talking about in 1994. And they also had a series in 2006 called Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes. Did, did you ever see that, Hamish? Even the one where they looked like they were wearing, like, sporty athletics gear? Yeah, it was a little anime-inspired. Yeah, I watched a couple of episodes, but nothing really kind of synced in. Because I guess, yeah. it, I, it's, I mean, the style choice is interesting, but it's just, I don't know, I, I don't think anything really kind of gelled. Especially with the fact that they did look like they're all wearing, like, sporting outfits. Yeah, like they're it very, was modernized. very athletic-looking. Yeah, it was, you know, I just wanted to briefly mention that show, because it was a, a show that did not get a lot of attention when it aired. Kind of mm. showed up on Cartoon Network out of nowhere. And it, like I said, it had that anime-inspired look to it, but not quite. And it was made by a French animation studio called uh, Moon Scoop Group. It lasted one season. And I, I don't know, I found the episodes actually pretty fun. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it. It did have a first season, which is actually the complete series, <laughs> four-disc box set. Like, they actually put out the DVD release. And uh, at my last checking, it was selling for under just under $10. So uh, definitely worth picking up if you find it. They should really sell it for $4. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge decrease in value. But again, Fantastic Four, four, the number four. Oh, 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 I get it now. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that the angle that they're going for that series is maybe like the ultimate look. Like the ultimate Fantastic Four? I think so. Like, Reed was made a little younger. He still had the gray. I don't know. I liked it. Iron Man showed up very briefly in that. Impossible Man had a pretty fun episode. It was a more modern version of this team. The 1994 series, the one we're going to be talking about, that's a little more pricey. I, I was looking online. I found that for about $38. 
So that's uh, wow, a little harder to find, but uh, it's it's available uh, digitally too. If you want to like you know pick it up where you buy episodes of TV, it's it should be there. That's a that's a good price for I guess a two series of a show of how many episodes was it each series? The ninety four series is uh, I think twenty six episodes. Well, at least at least this DVD's got some quality to it. I'm I'm guessing if you um buy the movies, that's that's probably like five bucks. <laughs> yeah, really. So yeah, like I mentioned, there's been four animated series so far. There's there was also a a, a thing cartoon. I I'm not sure what it was called, but there was a it was about a kid that had a magic ring, and I think he said something like "Thing ring, do your thing." And it made nearby rocks, like, attached to him, and the kid became the thing. But it was obviously very tangentially connected to the comics, so. Yeah, they didn't know what to do with that character, did they? No, not quite. So I don't, I don't count that as a Fantastic Four team cartoon series. Would you count that um, the last movie is a Fantastic Four movie? Yeah, yeah I mean, it is, <laughs> you know. I was going to mention that. So yeah, four cartoon series, four movies. It's kind of perfect the way it works out, uh, as long as you don't watch those movies. Well, it depends which one. Like the first one with Michael Chiklis, I can watch yeah. that. The second one, it is kooky bananas because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's like, I get like they really went into the whole comic booky craziness of what Fantastic Four is all about. And in comic book form, this would probably work. But in the movie, it's like, this is really weird mm-hmm. like it's very a, a strange situation to be in also those movies are very dated now for the fact that you're like hey remember michael chick was popular <laughs> oh come on very popular hey. guy in the new england area yeah for the shield and um oh the commish yes yeah of course the commish too but uh in that that unreleased movie the f- the one from the mid 90s Oh, the one just so they could hold it, retain the rights, yeah. Yeah, not not bad. There's actually a documentary called Doomed, which I recommend uh, people check out. Pretty fun to watch and uh, interesting what went on behind the scenes there. It just sounds like a nightmare. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the actors had some excitement about it, but when it's just something being built just so they could retain rights, it's just, yeah. You know, oh, it was a, a letdown shame. for sure, but um, yeah. it's, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to, Give away too much about that, but but check it out. It's a it's an interesting story. Anyway, this 1994 animated series, which we're going to focus on for this episode, it lasted 26 episodes over two seasons, just like the Iron Man series we talked about, and just like Iron Man, it made its debut on September 24th, 1994, and it ended on February 24th, 1996. And as we talked about in the Iron Man episode, the Iron Man series was poorly received by many, citing a, a lack of backstory for the characters, especially Iron Man himself, who didn't have his origin explained until the 11th and 12th episode. Iron Man also had very simplistic plots and self-contained episodes that weren't based on any comics material, and that was not the case with this Fantastic Four series. Fantastic Four right away opened with a two-part origin story with the plot points taken directly from Fantastic Four number one with uh, material from Fantastic Four number eight as well. This origin story is about like these uh, four people going into space, getting hit with cosmic rays and coming back down to Earth and having powers, right? Exactly. Why do they need two episodes? I just explained it. <laughs> right there. 
Yeah, maybe they milked it, but at least it was explained. So going forward, you know, you'd have an idea if you weren't familiar with the characters already. But uh, Fantastic Four stayed pretty faithful to the source material. They used characters and story arcs from many classic issues from the original run by uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, which was interesting considering these episodes were written by Ron Friedman, you know, for the most part. This is the same writer who did not stick too close to the comics for the first season of Iron Man. And was replaced. Uh, one big addition that wasn't from the comics uh, for the cartoon version was the inclusion of a nosy landlord played by Stanley's <laughs> wife, Joan. Which I didn't realize that was her. I just think of her as the, the Madam Web character from Spider-Man. She was not a fan favorite, unfortunately, that character. And uh, was yeah, not around wonder, for season two. I wonder why. <laughs> Very why, nosy. Why, was, why wasn't this character a landlord? Coming in apparently having more supreme power over the Fantastic Four with just the way the way they live their lives. I don't get it. You know, why 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 would people hate this character? <laughs> I I just like the idea of like someone coming in like like if they're in a situation where it's like we have to turn off these electric batteries before the cosmos explodes. But how are we gonna do that, Reed? Here. <laughs> what are you doing in there? I'm sorry, but uh, we have to turn off these cosmic batteries. Or like, I don't care. <laughs> Just that kind of stuff. Uh, it's like, you know, it, it seems to undercut the whole superheroism, doesn't it? It sounds like more of a Spider-Man thing. Where's the rent? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what, what was also great about these episodes is that many of them began with a live-action segment featuring some opening words by Stan Lee. If you own the Fantastic Four DVD box set of the series, it also includes Stan Lee's introductions to these episodes. So, you know, definitely worth watching, especially now, you know, now that uh, he's passed. It's, uh, it's still nice to see his uh, enthusiasm for these stories and everything, and uh, you have them there for every episode. Well, it's, just, it's essentially, in a way, I think Stan Lee, it's, it makes it seem like Stan Lee really cared about Fantastic Four over Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, I'll turn up for this one. He might have done it for Iron Man. I don't remember. Like, I, like I was talking about in the, the uh, Iron Man episode, I think I watched these all in syndication. So these mm. might have been cut. He might have introduced the Iron Man episodes. I'm not sure on that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But much like that Iron Man series, many changes were made uh, for season two. Animation was handed over from Wong Film Production and Kennedy Cartoons to Philippine Animation Studio Incorporated, which improved the animation quality and it changed the character designs. If you notice in the first season, we kind of have those solid light blue uniforms. And in season two, they were more of the blackish bluish uniforms. You know, it was kind of like black uniforms with the bluish highlights. Yeah, it looks like they're heavily shaded. Yeah, like like something you'd see in the comics. Yeah, they they look like legit. But also, there's a lot more use of shadow in this because, yes. like, in series one, it was very flat. Yep. And in series two was like you know it's like any any place with some sort of shadow, let's put some shadow in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the result of changing studios as they did. Also, the opening sequence was changed, along with a new theme, uh, replacing that cheesy Call the Four, Fantastic hey. Four theme song. Hey, 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 hey. I like that theme, because there were words to it. This new one sounds more like an educational show than ever. It sounds like it, one of those educational shows where it's like, well, we don't want to say the name of the show, and there's no real theme to it, but like, you know, we want to tell people, like, it's educational, but also heroic. That's yeah. what it sounds like. It just, it just, to me, it just sounds like an educational show that I'd watch. Here in Australia, we'd watch on like ABC mm. in the afternoons. It's a generic type of theme. It could be mm. for Robin Hood. It could be for, you know, 
space aliens. It could be for anything. It's just like a ge- kind of a generic action theme. Mm. It was fine. Also, some other changes. Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, he was voiced by uh, Beverly Hills 90210's Brian Austin Green in the first season. Uh, now voiced by Quentin Flynn in the second season. Quentin Flynn went on to be a very accomplished, prolific voice actor, video games and animation, still working today. Ron Friedman, who I mentioned, he wrote or co-wrote every episode of season one, was replaced, and the writing duties for season two were handed over to a few different writers, and that was all under the supervision of Tom Tartanowitz, uh, just like the supervision that he had on the Iron Man series. Also, where season one focused primarily on the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby storylines, season two also kind of used some of the stories from John Byrne's run later on in the 80s, and we'll, we'll get an example of that in today's episode. Now, season one, it was really panned by the critics. Everybody generally panned this show, called it silly, campy. Season two received better reviews and a more positive response, but it was ultimately canceled at the same time as Iron Man. I think, who they get to review these things in the 90s? Like, these days, it's like people get their reviews on the internet and online and whatever, and they get kind of a general buzz. Where'd they get the research for this stuff? There's just a bunch of adults going, nah, this is no good. My kids wouldn't watch this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it ultimately is adults reviewing programming for children. I would guess that it would be publications that, you know, that talk about comics, superhero stuff. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So like Wizard Magazine. Probably. Yeah, stuff like that. And then also you do have uh, TV critics in newspapers around the country as well. Yeah, I just, I just think like at the, the climate at that time... Depending on what you're doing, if you, if you poured a lot of money and uh, time into animation, you'd be like, "Oh, this is amazing." I mean, like Batman the Animated Series is, yeah. is always always going to kill it, uh, but that's because they had a different approach. But um, yeah, these shows they're always if if you have like you know adults reviewing these shows and like, "Oh, these are terrible shows. Who cares?" You know, they're always made to sell toys. Who cares about this stuff? I mean, you know, it, it's part of it's true, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting these days when you see certain animated shows. There's a weird mix between people who really love it and obviously people who really hate it. But like shows which are just kind of, I'd say, especially the new Marvel shows like um, Avengers Assemble, that mm-hmm. show. If you look at the animation of that show, the characters came, seem kind of similar and like the the mouth dubbing doesn't really seem to matter as much anymore. Like there's a lot of action sequences and there's you know some conversation going on but like they don't need to match up the mouth flaps and also the character models all look kind of square and blocky as if like you know like Captain America and Thor kind of have the same sort of shape and build Mm -hmm. well the series they had before that I think Earth's Mightiest Heroes or like uh, the Mighty Avengers it was another show they did the animation changed because like when the movies got really popular they started to line things more of the movies but it was actually animated really well and they did a lot more uh, crossover stuff like with Spider-Man and the X-Men and things like that well obviously this new Avengers Assemble show steers away from you know some well the X-Men kind of stuff Mm-hmm. And six kind of yeah, you know, they can borrow Spider Man from time to time because I think they're also doing Ultimate Spider Man, which is is hit and miss if you want it. But yeah, it's just interesting just to the animation and style of shows, whereas like people are very critical of those '90s shows because again, they they always go like, oh, they're just built to sell toys. They're not there to tell stories. But in fairness, season one was worse than season two. So depending on how you feel about it, if you think it's terrible to begin with, well, you everyone can generally agree. Season two Mm. is better, you know, by some margin. But season one was so bad that there was one infamous page from Fantastic Four, the actual comic, issue number 396, in which Scott Lang, you know, who was 
the other Ant-Man, is watching TV at the headquarters of the Fantastic Four at the time, which was Four Freedoms Plaza. And he's watching an episode of the Fantastic Four animated series on TV in the comic, making fun of it. It's rough. It was really rough. In fact, let's uh, let's do a little reading for the listeners. Let's get the page out. Okay, so we open on Four Freedoms Plaza. We journey to the New York headquarters of what was once the world's greatest super team, where all is quiet, all is calm, until the air is unexpectedly gored by a scream of total, unadulterated terror. Yeah! Holy Hannah, Ant-Man must be under some sort of attack. Scott, Scott, can you hear me? Say something. Answer me, kid. This ain't no time to be bashful. Look, Ben, look. I've never seen anything so horrible, so downright repulsive. What is it, Scott? What you, what you talking about? It's this new animated series I just stumbled across. The one that's supposed to be based on your old adventures. Have you seen what they did to you? Oh, man. I know the team was desperate for money a few months back, but this is almost as bad as that crummy comic book they publish about you guys. What's next? Action figures? Play sets? I never thought I'd live to see the day when the ever-loving thing became a plush doll. Forget about being attacked by your old supervillains. You'll be destroyed by the ratings. Yeah, yeah, your regular laugh right, Mr. Lang. But the show's over. And we end with the thing smashing the television <laughs> into pieces. Yeah, because that's that's how you uh, diffuse a situation. Just break the thing. <laughs> break break the TV. Not yeah, the don't break the Ugh. thing. <laughs> just like that. That's he's gonna see it like an anger manager or something, something like that. Where it's just like going, Haha, this show is terrible. Instead of going, let me turn it off for you. It's like, well, broke the TV. <laughs> it's like, okay. But that was uh, pretty brutal. You know, this is a fellow Marvel property. Now, reportedly, Marvel was very upset with the writer of this issue, Tom DeFalco. It wasn't much longer after that that he was no longer editor in chief. Now, I, I've read like other articles saying like that the two things are probably unrelated so they didn't say hey you're making fun of our cartoon show that everyone else is saying is bad you're no longer editor-in-chief but still a pretty crazy turn of events here but wow what a, what a scathing review right from uh, characters of the comics themselves yeah i mean come on who's the think he is the simpsons <laughs> yeah yeah they can get away with it now, reportedly, Tom Tartaranovitz said that if Fantastic Four went into a third season, he would have liked to include storylines such as Sue's pregnancy and the inclusion of Medusa and She-Hulk to the team, because, you know, it's kind of like a rotating door later on in the comics as to who was on the team. During the run of the show, uh, we should also mention there was also a line of Toy Biz action figures that featured some characters that were never on the show. There was also, like, Dragon Man and Thanos. So, who knows? They might have also made appearances. We know Thanos went on to appear in the Silver Surfer animated series. And uh, I guess the Fantastic Four were also going to cross over into that, but uh, they were canceled by then. But, hey, that's, that's all for another episode. But uh, just going yeah. back to the uh, action figures, Hamish, did you have any of these? I had a thing, a thing action figure. Mm -hmm. That sounds so weird to say. Get a better name, Ben. Oh, oh no. he's called Ben. I, I had, uh, yeah, basically just a thing action figure, which, which strange enough, I got from like a, a discount store. I think they're selling a bunch of action figures. I mean, this is the same place. I also got, um, what's it? I got a, a, a mulleted Superman action figure. Was it the one where both arms flip up? 
Yeah. Yeah, I had that too. <laughs> That's oh, funny. God. It, was, it was so weird. Like, just why? Like, I get they wanted to make him look like he's flying, but it's just like, just, you don't need the whole automatic whip. His arms go up. I know. And it was a good figure, and the, the, the rubbery cape was, uh, it was okay. I mean, it keeps the shape. But yeah, yeah. the mullet is His head tilts up too, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, that was weird. He had the hinge in the neck. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. some reason, if you want to make him tilt up like he's flying, it's like, well, just put the arms to make him fly. Anyway, when I went ahead to talk about another mullet Superman. But yeah, I I, I got a, a thing action figure, right? But strange enough, I think it's it was built weirdly because he's his right hand would pop off. Yes, online light. too. Yeah, that's funny. The yeah, fist. What was yeah. The, what was the deal with that? I didn't understand it because like he had like uh had a my one was like he had his open he had like a fist and open hand. Yeah. But like the always the open hand one would pop off. I think the, if online you to push the fist, it on. I think popped off on mine. It must have been something with the the molding or something because yeah, like yeah, his fist would be fine, but then like his hand would pop off, and that year you change it to be like he's firing his hand at somebody. <laughs> yeah, but that's supposed to be a weird thing. But that's like the only kind of Fantastic Four figure I had, and no, I didn't buy anything from the the movie when that came out. When they had a whole bunch of those <laughs> weird weird figures that popped up. I mean, it was cool. I mean, it's like it's like when they did um the Ninja Turtles movie figures, mm-hmm. and they made him look. Like they're like the, the the same as the the original toys, but like they made them look like you know they had eyes and like they had more of a bumpy flesh to them. Yeah, textured. You know, yeah, to build, yeah, yeah, to make them look more real, like real life. Which I always like doing. And you know, when you make something look like a real life action action figure, it does it doesn't mess with your head at all. No, it looks fine compared to the real toy. Um, but yeah, that's it. The only I, only one I had was um a thing action figure. Yeah, I had the same one. That was the one with the blue tank top. That was like the second edition. And uh, I also, because I, you know, like I mentioned in the Iron Man episode, I always would try to get like allowance money to, you know, w- get an action figure a week with the allowance money. And I I never had a Mr. Fantastic figure because I think they made one in like 1990 and I was too little. And finally, they were making a Mr. Fantastic figure for this show. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I bought it. And he had two, like, rubber arms. Like, his body was hard plastic, but from the shoulder there were so- two sockets, you know. And he had two stretchy arms. And, like, those were kind of neat, but really the, the the character couldn't move his arms. Like, he couldn't pose them. He couldn't hold anything in his hands. And uh, ultimately, uh, some kid came over the house and pulled the arm right out of the socket. So I had him intact not too long. I also had a Thanos figure because I, I loved Thanos as a kid. See, I was way ahead of my time. and uh, But it was funny because he never, like I mentioned, never appeared on the show. But uh, they made a Thanos figure. I like how in this day and age, it's, it's getting weirder and weirder. With, I guess with more of the more of the comics that they uh, uh, delve into for the movies, right? And they streamline most of these characters. Like Thanos. I remember talking about Thanos or Spider-Man 2099. Like to a very small group of people who knew the character mm-hmm. or if no one knew who the character was I was hyped to talk about it I was like oh this is a, this is a character and he has like a, a gauntlet and he can like control like time and reality <laughs> and all this cool stuff and they'd be like yeah that's cool like they didn't care they yeah. didn't care I was a kid like you know being a, like a teenage kid talking about this stuff like oh there's a guy called Thanos in the comics and he's like super powerful and when he turns up you know like you know stuff's gonna happen and people are like cool what music do you like you know it's like they cha- they change the subject, yeah. And now like everyone's all like, "Oh, Thanos, he's a really great character." You know, I really I really think he's a choice in like you know half the universe is a really <laughs> great idea. It's like we're having these weird delayed conversations, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it happened in the comic books like a long time ago, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Oh yeah, I'd side with Thanos if I was going to you know save the universe and just you know get rid of half the universe." And it's like, what? Like what? 
why it's it's the same thing as like when people finally get around to watching a TV show and they start talking about it. But this is like an entire generation, a couple of generations, a lifetime ago. Uh, something which influences your choices in life, and then all of a sudden they're talking about it as if it's just a casual thing they've seen on TV yeah. once. Yeah. And it's like, this is a huge story arc in the comics and everything like that. What? Yeah. But it's so, it's so strange. Like, the comic book geeky lore that we all grew up with, especially with the stupidest things like... Well, not stupid things, like craziest things like Spider-Ham, which is now brought into light. And then there's people asking questions like, oh, is this a new character made for like that new animated film? It's like, no, he's been no. around forever. Yeah, he's older than us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the older character. And it's like, this is, it's it's just so funny because all the stuff like, you, I would say we took for granted, but we're so used to. And now you have to explain it to a new legion of people who have no idea. And so like, it's, it's like this little fan club of the secret side of the Marvel Universe or secret little things that you got used to are now coming into light. So it's like now like you're not really, there's not much left. No, it, it, but it's been fascinating to see it become popular culture. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially with um, Fantastic Four compared to the new Marvel Universe stuff where it's like, you know, there are people who are into it, especially like the Silver Surfer, but like, you know, especially thanks to the products and things that come out of it. Now, one figure, one toy I have to mention from this Fantastic Four toy biz line was the Galactus toy. Now, I loved Thanos as a kid. I also loved the character of Galactus. And the Fantastic Four toy line, finally, they made a Galactus toy. And obviously, not perfectly to scale, but 14 inches compared to the regular 5-inch figures. And uh, he came with electric lights and sounds. I remember, I think I saved my money and paid $20, I think, for him. Oh, yeah. big ones. I know. And I still have it. So, I thought this would be pretty funny for the episode to take my Galactus figure here that I've had for years and years. And uh, his special power is that you put two AA batteries in his back. And there's you a... Mean- cosmic batteries yes cosmic bat we'll get into the please we'll get into the batteries very soon (laughs) and uh you move his arm forward and he makes cosmic sounds and his eyes flash and light up so i figured this would be a a fun opportunity for the first time in i don't know what over 20 years we'll put some batteries in this guy and see what the cosmic sounds of galactus actually sound like okay you ready no i'm not prepared okay well let's see let's here we go (laughs) <laughs> and his eyes are lighting up are we being attacked by Klingons <laughs> well that's funny well it still works that's that's that, it, it's it's cool for a toy to make that kind of sound but is that like is that a constant sound yeah like it, until he put the arm until he put the arm down it's like oh, a, no. a one second loop that plays over and over again. He also has a... Oh, hook. no. I can, I can understand why not many people want to buy this for their kids. Because if the parents... Oh, forget If it. the parents hear that in the background, they're like, I'm going to kick that thing across the yard. <laughs> I am tired of hearing that pseudo cosmic alarm go off. It's a cool sound, though. Yeah, it's di- yeah, it was different. And his eyes flash red. The eyes still work. And he came with yeah. a, uh, a drill... That uh, you plug into his chest and he holds onto it, and the uh, the drill lights up too because he, he plugs in through the the hole in the chest. So yeah, pretty mm-hmm. cool. Good job, Toy Biz. Your your toys still last all these years later. Wow, yeah. it's cool that it lasts. But it's like, how do you play with a toy that big? Oh well, I don't know. You make the <laughs> the little Fantastic Four figures go after him, I guess. Jump up and kick him in the head. You know, like in What's the, the comics. Thing, like- <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my favorite one remember when Reed just kicks him in the head it's like hey 
hey, go away, man. Don't, don't eat, don't eat Earth. Don't, don't be crazy. He's like, all right. In the comic books, uh, the Galactus is still about, even though he's he's like one of the most cosmic characters. But just just to bring it up, since we're talking about Galactus, mm-hmm. there've been multiple versions of him. There was uh, a version of Galactus for the was it Rise of Silver Surfer, the sequel to the other Fantastic Four movie, the the sequel film, yes. Yeah, and he was depicted as basically a cloud. Yeah, yeah, like a space cloud, which you know, kind of not very dramatic. No. And then in the Ultimate Comics, uh, he was depicted as... Basically, it was a, it was a collection of uh, aliens, was it? Yeah, like a swarm of space locusts, you could call it. Yeah. Galactus. Yeah. Which was an interesting choice, I guess, because, again, like he's, he's, he's a wild, wild character to try and depict. Especially if you're trying to bring it down to a, a, a reality kind of sense. Yeah. But also, recently, he's, he's turned back now, but for a while in the comic books, I think it was last year maybe ended this year, he actually got inverted. So instead of being the world eater, he was like the life bringer. Hmm. He was actually, and they, he got inverted to like, a, he was like all white and everything like that. And he was, he actually was bringing life to planets, which were dead. Oh, interesting. There's a whole complicated subplot to it. Uh, I'm trying to remember how it came about because I'm trying to recall because for a while in the comic books recently, and this is again, the film and the comic books having, let's say, different opinions. Like, basically, Marvel. When that reboot movie came through, Marvel uh, essentially removed the Fantastic Four from the comics. I mean, we you won't get official word one way or the other, but yeah, it was kind of interesting. They were gone from comic shelves for a long time, and now they're back. And so what they did was in the story is that there was this huge Marvel event that happened, and then the Fantastic Four were basically pulled out of the universe and were put on the outside of the universe with these cosmic abilities to create new universes. It's, it was, it's, this is wild stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they're put on out, they're basically essentially put outside the universe. So they wouldn't be able to interact with these characters, but they're in this kind of like, you know, negative plane where they're able to create universes with, you know, Reed Richards, the thing and the kids and everything, everybody basically out there just creating worlds with these new cosmic powers and stuff. <laughs> Essentially, I mean, they didn't kill them because I didn't want, I guess they didn't want to do that kind of retconning again. Yeah. But instead they just kind of pushed them to the nth degree of their cosmic adventures and went like, well, you won't see them for a while because they're outside of reality Yeah. and outside of this whole thing. Now, also, uh, you know, just talking more about Galactus, there are some other uh, pretty interesting takes on him, too. Because, you know, we're talking about him because he'll show up later on in the the episode we're talking about anyway. But, you know, he's really a product of the 60s, this sci-fi giant, uh, big crazy hat, beautiful design by Kirby. There's some great art in the, the those early uh, Fantastic Four issues, that Galactus trilogy as it's now known. But, you know, uh, John Byrne kind of tackled it later in the 80s. He, he kind of tried to ground the character a little more. Like, you know, it, it's kind of silly to see this guy in a big hat who's going to come down and, like, you know, feed on the energy from your planet. And there's a page where all the civilizations that face Galactus, they see him because he's really a force of nature. They see him in different ways. So like the humans see Galactus as this big man in a giant purple hat. But you also get these images of other aliens and what they see Galactus to be. And it's kind of like their nightmare image, but like their species. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take that, 
what Galactus appears to be is only because we're humans. And whatever species you are, you see, you know, Galactus uh, in that form. That was kind of interesting. There was also a uh, a Marvel series. I want to say it was Earth X. I can't remember. But that was an interesting alternate reality take on Galactus kind of being a, a force of nature and kind of uh, balance to the, to the universe. And mm. in that story you learn that inside of planets are uh, celestial embryos. Now, the celestials are giant robotic creatures. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them later as well. But uh, they had these embryos inside of the planets, and when they matured, they would crack the planet open. Uh, meanwhile, Galactus was going around the cosmos eating them, kind of keeping the population in control. So the two kind of balanced each other out. And Earth had this celestial embryo inside of it. And the celestials engineered the inhabitants of the Earth to become superheroes. And that would defend the Earth against Galactus, the one that would kill the embryo otherwise. And that's the explanation for why the Earth has superheroes. I just thought that was kind of a clever take on the whole Marvel Universe. But, you know, there's, there's many different takes on Galactus. I mean, it's interesting, that kind of spiritual ideology. Strange enough, it doesn't seem to be working because for some reason they keep making superheroes in america and australia literally hasn't got any <laughs> like like come on it's like all the superheroes like oh it's creating superheroes it's like cool so how do you explain thor it's like ah mm, mm. Mm. that's a that's mm. a problem and again it's an alternate universe take i just thought it was a, a neat way of looking at things for a you know a mini series that's not too bad. I mean, it would explain, like, why the Hulk, instead of, you know, Bruce Banner being killed by a, an atomic explosion, turns into a hulking monster because of that. Yeah, and there's, and it would explain more uh, X-Gene stuff for the mutants. Like, it, mm. it works more for them than anybody else, you know? But, um, all right, so anyway, we're, we're kind of off the rails here. I, I just <laughs> wanted to give a little backstory on the Fantastic Four. Um, they made their debut in Fantastic Four number one. November 1961, written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby. Uh, this issue is now regarded as not only the beginning of the Fantastic Four, but really the beginning of the Marvel Universe. And, you know, the Marvel Universe that's also now known as the Marvel 616 Universe. But really, it all started there. Uh, this group consists of Reed Richards, also known as Mr. Fantastic, a, a super genius scientist who led a space study in which he and his three crewmates were bombarded by cosmic rays, giving them superhuman abilities. So Reed gained the ability to stretch his body like rubber. His now wife, Sue Storm, gained the ability to turn invisible. And uh, later she adopted the name Invisible Woman. And uh, in the comics, she also was given uh, uh, expanded powers to include a mental command of invisible force fields. You know, made her a little more powerful on par with everybody else. Uh, Sue's brother, Johnny Storm, became the Human Torch, who could switch on and off the ability to be engulfed in flames, and he could also fly. And finally, Reed's friend, Ben Grimm, became the, the lovable brute with the orange rocky exterior known as The Thing. And throughout the years, the team has seen many changes, temporary additions. Uh, Spider-Man was one of the Fantastic Four. Luke hey. Cage, Black Panther, She-Hulk. I mean, it's been so many. That's my favorite lineup, though. I like I liked the the lineup of the other, the alternative Fantastic Four, which is Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, uh, Grey Hulk, and Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. I like that team. That's that's one of my favorite teams. I know some no, people. Cool. Be, I know some people will be like, yeah, well, you know. You have two scientists there, practically Spider-Man and you know Hulk, which more or less, okay. yeah, yeah, which, which more or less, yeah. I mean, they 
two scientists. I mean, Spidey kind of took on the Reed Richards role of being like, you know, the lead scientist and preferably the leader. Well, obviously, Bruce Banner is like the Hulk. Yeah, that's the muscle of the team. The other two, wild cards. You know, it's like, yeah. sure. I mean, they're not exactly family friendly. I mean, you know, if they go like, here comes the Fantastic Four and you see Wolverine stab a guy in the face. It's like, <laughs> okay. And then you look over at Ghost Rider who's saying fire to a dude. And it's like, well, this is, this is different. It's a different yeah, flavor. Yeah. It's yeah. a different thing. I mean, I, I do like the fact that there's... Because I do, do have one... Of the, it's in a couple of the what-if issues, right? Because I've got the issue on the front cover has the team of this new assembled team. And they're all wearing the, the Fantastic Four outfits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a completely maskless Peter Parker being Fantastic Four Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. I mean, I do like that lineup. Yeah, that is cool. But uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we're just going to focus on the original four for this cartoon. They didn't get that far where uh, substitutions started to be made. Okay, so now let's finish our look at the Marvel Action Hour with our look at the second episode to air on the morning of Saturday, November 4th, 1995. The episode of Fantastic Four entitled To Battle the Living Planet. This is uh, the story by uh, Steve Granat and Sidney Clark, written by Jan Sternad. Now, as we mentioned in our Iron Man episode, since this is a season two episode, it was technically part of the Marvel Action Universe instead of the Marvel Action Hour because there also was a Biker Mice from Mars episode added to the block. And if you want to follow along, this is available to purchase digitally in some places. Not currently streaming. As I mentioned, it did get a, a DVD release, which is what I watched for this. But I, I did read that the DVD episodes are missing some footage that was cut for syndication. So uh, keep that in mind as we, we kind of break this down. Okay, so we begin with a cold open. We start with the Fantastic Four in Reed's laboratory, celebrating the grand opening of their new home, Four Freedoms Plaza, with a gigantic cake in the shape of the building that uh, Ben evidently ordered. He confused ounces and pounds in the cake order, and that, that resulted in a, a gigantic cake. Yeah, I don't know. He's thing every time, and it's always just the character of Ben Grimm, he's always just standing under things, holding heavy stuff above his head. <laughs> Like, that's his whole shtick, where it's like, here I am, I'm holding something heavy above my head. That's yeah. my whole shtick. You know how I is. But also, who at the cake store would go, yeah, this seems, this seems legit. And, and who orders a cake based on weight? <laughs> I want the heavy, hello? I want the heaviest <laughs> cake you've got. Also, large. Also, why, like, he just wanted, like, they, they're just buying a cake for the four of them, right? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. So, like... No one assumed like how, how much like the person on the other end of the call was like going so how many how like how many people are gonna, is this gonna serve? He couldn't say like oh it's gonna f- serve four people, but instead it's just like oh it's gonna serve uh lots. <laughs> also, it should be uh, big enough for me to stand underneath and uh, carry above my head. <laughs> it's like well we don't really recommend that you should hold a cake like that. No, I I, I do it all the time. It's my whole my whole thing. <laughs> So yeah, as I mentioned, season two, this is a, a different place where they live. In season one, they, they lived in the Baxter building. This place, it, it's um, not too discreet. It, it's, <laughs> it's a tall building with the Fantastic Four logo on the top of every side. Like every face at the top has a, a four on the building. It's basically like a four. It's, 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 a, it's a basically a building built with a four as the top. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting design choice. I mean, you, you can't miss that building. I do wonder what happens in the other parts of the building. I mean, there's a lot of space. I know there's like a lab on one level. There's like the living quarters and then there's the spaceships and other junk that they have. What's the rest of it? Is it offices? I don't know. Like, there's, 
offices for rent. Yeah, I mean, be. there's there's a lot of space. Yeah, I can imagine someone who's an accountant going there is like, oh, yeah, 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 I work at um, the backs of the building. So, oh, wait, 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 wait you're part of the Fantastic Four? It's like, no, no, I work for Davidson and Davidson Accounting Firm. It's just, <laughs> it's just That's the cheapest space we got, strange enough, because no one wants yeah. to be living, no one wants to be doing business in a building with the four on it and also being attacked multiple times. That's true, yeah. Yeah. What what kind of super team would have a building with a giant logo of whatever super team they're in? I mean, come on. You won't see the Avengers doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, every doorknob at the X-Mansion and every, <laughs> every yeah. uh, you know. So, Everything, okay. Everything's X'd up. Well, then you have Spidey in his small apartment putting like Spider-Man stickers on stuff. Like, yeah, I'm really cool. <laughs> then, there's, then you hear this. Hey, you, Peter. I can hear you putting stickers on things. Landlord. Ridiculous. So anyway, the, their celebration is short-lived. As an earthquake strikes, it sends the cake out of things' hands and up against the ceiling. And, and a, you know, there's always little bits of comedy in this series, usually involving the, the thing making wisecracks. Or he and Johnny, they always make fun of each other. So you always get these moments here. So uh, this is one where the, the, the cake hits the ceiling, it splats, and then it falls down on the thing. Yeah, huh? But... Redesigned the new building to withstand a 9.5 earthquake, so aside from the rumbling, they're going to be safe. But checking the monitors, Johnny finds that along with the New York earthquake, the devastation is worldwide. There's flooding in Spain, hurricanes, plural, in Tahiti, as well as widespread fires and volcanic eruptions all around the world. But Australia's fine, right? Like, Australia's good? Yeah, probably. I don't think he even bothered to look, to be honest with you. Woo! I was worried. <laughs> Ooh, I was worried. Because, you know, when it comes to Australia, we don't have superheroes because I think we're fine. If Thanos came down to Australia and was like, I'm going to do my whole snap here, we'd be like, yeah, sure, buddy. He does a snap. No one in Australia <laughs> disappears. So we're like, yeah, we're pretty tough. Why do you think we don't have any superheroes down here? We take care of ourselves. Half the Huntsman spiders disappear. Everyone applauds Thanos. They put him on the dollar bill. And Thanos is like, what the heck just happened? I, th I thought I got half, half, rid of half of the, the entire continent. It's like, nah, that's not how that works, buddy. Anyway, that's a nice gardening glove. What are you going to do with that now? <laughs> so Johnny immediately springs into action, flaming on as the Human Torch, flying outside to save people on the street by incinerating the falling debris before it hits them. And uh, using her force field powers, Sue floats her and Ben out of the building to a busy overpass that's about to collapse onto traffic. And she boosts Ben up with an invisible column, and then he, using his super strength, holds the concrete road together. Uh, I wait, cut wait. to read. Wait. He's... What he did beforehand, though, remember he moved, he picks up a car with a guy in it, and he just puts it in the back of a truck. Yeah, that was an odd thing. Yeah, he, a, like little, he didn't a guy in a save little him. car. Yeah. No, he just stacked him up to make space, I guess. Yeah, he's like, excuse me, I'm going to put you in the back of this guy's uh, truck. You can't open the doors. You're trapped in the car. Also, we got to grab this uh, piece of falling uh, road. Yeah, that was, yeah, I, I forgot about that. That was weird. I like the guy didn't get out of his car. He didn't want to throw it away or anything. He's just like, yeah, you stay here. <laughs> He's like tidying up. Yeah. So we also cut to Reed. He's running along the city streets and we see him stretch his body out almost like a hammock and he's catching people that are falling. One man is hanging from a high building ledge by his fingertips just out of Mr. Fantastic's stretching limits. And as the man falls, Reed kind of makes an attempt to catch him, but his arms are like really long and noodly, so he misses. But fortunately, he is saved by 
Iron writing. Man. Oh, the Iron Man. I thought. <laughs> Wait, who'd you say? I said good writing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, but it's, it's it's Iron Man and the Avengers. Yeah, but like none of the main Avengers anyone really knows about. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a weird uh, group of cameos that we get here. Some obscure Avengers. There's new warriors mixed in. We cut to the next scene. It's there's a couple inside of a crushed car, and Vision phases his face through the metal and spots them. And then he and Hercules rip off the roof. It, you almost it's like a blink and you miss it moment where Captain America is also there to help pull them out. Mm. And uh, as Iron Man lands, we also see She-Hulk and Rage there at street level. Rage had a very brief tenure with uh, the <laughs> Avengers. Yeah. Do you remember him at all, Hamish? Yeah, very briefly. I wouldn't say he's a guy I'd throw into the mix of this group. She She-Hulk, yes. Yeah, She-Hulk, I mean, especially as a also would become a member of the Fantastic Four, she was very much intertwined with their story. But Rage, I think he's only like 12 or 13 years old. And he mm-hmm. gets this magical power. And I think once the Avengers find out that he's actually a kid, that he, he's he's no longer one of the Avengers. It's kind of the same as like the whole Shazam thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like an extreme 90s Shazam. Yeah, and as soon as they find out, like, you're just a kid, you're not a mature guy. Like, yeah. You know, there's a difference between wisdom and you know, actual maturity. But it's interesting, what, my, my favorite thing about this is that the uh, our heroes, the Fantastic Four, all go, Ah, oh, the Avengers are here! You guys keep doing what you're going to do. And it's like, none of the Avengers talk to him. Yeah, no one nobody says, like, talks. <laughs> yeah, no one goes like, don't worry, guys. We're here to help you. It's like, we'll take, we'll cover this. And so it's it's just a lot of explanation from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I got to mention, too, there was a, uh, a derailed train that's kind of tipped over. And uh, we get Speedball, Darkhawk, and Justice. So uh, the three, three more uh, new warriors. And then also... Um, Goliath and Wasp show up too. Yeah. Again, no one has lines. <laughs> no, no, no voice cameos or anything here. Uh, but this would be a good time to mention something we really didn't get into in our Iron Man episode. You know, we're now in a time where the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become this multi-billion-dollar franchise, and a big part of its success has been its crossovers and the fact that it has this cohesive universe. But really, you know, looking at this over a decade before. These Marvel animated series were doing something similar, but kind of on a smaller scale. Even though they aired on different networks, in most cases, these cartoons all generally existed in the same universe. I mean, obviously, Iron Man isn't with the Force Works team here, so you could say that, you know, that it's different. But the Hulk and Iron Man crossed over in their series, along with the Avengers. Uh, they showed up in Fantastic Four, as we see here, and X-Men. Uh, the X-Men made cameos in Fantastic Four. Uh, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four appeared on Spider-Man. Uh, Silver Surfer spun off from Fantastic Four, and they, there was shared characters like Galactus. There, there were many more examples, but for someone, you know, growing up watching these shows, it was pretty amazing to see the care and the detail put into this series, and, and all these series, to make the Marvel animated universe seem like one big complete world like it was in the comics. And uh, these days, it's, uh, it's taking, taking a lot of effort. Taking a lot of effort to get those characters together. Still, yeah. still, wait, still waiting for the X-Men. I mean, Spider-Man's making it there. It's just that, you know, he's there thanks to Sony going, okay, you can borrow him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's, you know what's interesting, too, is uh, just in doing my research for, for this cartoon, I was reading a lot of Fantastic Four stuff, and I, I did not see Iron Fist on Netflix. I didn't see, uh, I guess season two came out. I did not see it, but I heard that there was a reference either on a police scanner or something to a disturbance at a construction site at uh, basically where the Baxter building is. 
Mm. So uh, I, I forget the address, like 42 Baxter or whatever. Basically mm. implying that there's the Baxter building being built. You know, so there's something coming. I'm just saying, it's it's interesting. We get these characters now available to be in the MCU in a couple of years. So there's uh, literally the foundations being built. So back to the episode, uh, Reed, that's what you're talking about here, Hamish. Reed tells the Avengers, well, you continue to save people and, and we'll go back to Four Freedoms Plaza and try to figure out what's actually happening. Like, you know, you do all the work, you're doing a great job, but, uh, you know, we're gonna hang out in front of the TV and uh, take some notes. Yeah. Now, looking up at this moment, the entire group of heroes are shocked to find the sky completely on fire and ah. we fade to black. <laughs> that's just like everything's on fire and like this is a good time to cut to the opening credits yes it, it, this brings us to the opening sequence as we mentioned this is the revamped season two opening sequence the the instrumental theme music i like this opening sequence what'd you think okay there's more to it than the first one i'll put it that way there's oh, more yeah. moving parts to it but i like how partway through it they actually put some of the clips from the original one though well yeah like the, you can tell the vast difference between the animation of this one and he's like the um old one with the, the the pale blue costumes yes i guess the the saving money trying to keep it all together but yeah it's just the music was very uninspired and it's nice to look at it's very much fantastic four and they even do a reference to the first appearance of the fantastic four yeah so basically the sequence we get like this golden book sitting like in the openness of outer space with the faces of the Fantastic Four on it and along with the team logo and the pages turn and Reed, Sue, and Johnny fly out of the book along with the demonstration of their powers and the thing reaches from off screen and he crushes the book. We zoom in on one of his blue eyes and this fades into a scene of the Fantastic Four when they were normal humans entering their spacecraft and you know their their cosmic ray transformation and then cutting from Ben Grimm's face this is where we get what you mentioned the cover of Fantastic Four number one, but animated, which, you know, really, really cool how they mm. did this. We see Reed catching Sue, and it cuts to the Fantastic Four in the, the metal hand of an oversized Doctor Doom, and we see Liberia <laughs> in the background, so, you know, symbolizing their struggles, fighting him and all that. There's some other things, too. I, I couldn't figure out what they were. Like, they're, they're on a rocky ledge over, like, a city. I don't know if that was Adelan from the Inhumans. It's got to be from the comics. And also we get um, uh, the split screen fight. The screen is cut into four quadrants and they're fighting these little green men with like eye blasts and stuff. And I, I don't know if those had to do with the super adaptoid or not. Mm. I don't know. But anyway, well, just a lot of cool scenes like right out of the comics in this. But like at the end of it, again, no one cares for uh, Ben Grimm. Because at the end of it, was it like they're all standing in one place on top of a building. But apparently they're standing on a big old four coin that... <laughs> the thing is underneath. Yes. And he lifts them all up because they all get together, like the three of them. And they're like, oh, we're just together. And they're like, whoa. And then like, you know, the thing is underneath it, lifts up and throws in the air. And then, you know, it lands perfectly with the, th the four uh, up proper. And then um, for some reason it ends up with the uh, Super Mario explosions. <laughs> yes, yes. The fireworks in the, the background. Fireworks, all, yeah. It all ends on the roof. Like they're all they're on the fantastic car. They all jump out. They land. The thing throws the logo, and so yeah, they, they all kind of pose, and then yeah, you get the fireworks all in the background, all on uh, the roof just, of the building. It's just funny because the music cuts out, and then just yeah, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as if you know. Again, you just finish the level with Mario. Well, thing grabbed the flag at the very top of the flagpole, you know. So that's what happens. Yeah, they got four so. lives. Yeah, it's everything's great. <laughs> So, this cuts to the episode title card. Again, the title, To Battle the Living Planet. And we get images of Sue and Ben, opening credits. 
All right, so going back to the to the show, we return on, on the laboratory at Four Freedoms Plaza where Reed explains that the sky fire is from an object entering the Earth's atmosphere at enormous speeds. And just as Sue asks where it's heading, we see a fireball blast through the roof and the ceiling, and then it ricochets around the lab. Ben picks up a metal girder and tries to hit it like a baseball, or a cricket ball if you're in Australia. And you, well, you say, what? You don't need to <laughs> try to localize this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd what? appreciate that. A cricket bull. I know, you know what a baseball is. And then uh, Ben discovers it's even too powerful for him. It just embeds itself in the steel, causing it to fall on his foot. And as the flames die down, Reed is shocked to find out that it's actually Mjolnir, the hammer of Thor. So Ben rubs his sore foot and Mjolnir jumps out of the steel and flies into the air. Ben grabs a hold of its handle and the hammer pulls him through the wall and into the sky. Ben has to let go and then Reed catches him. So as the hammer now leaves the Earth, the Fantastic Four decide, well, let's chase it. So they get into a Mm. spacecraft. They own a rocket, fortunately, because they know that Thor's hammer always returns to him. And for Thor's hammer to go all the way to find them and reach them and then leave like that, they are most likely being summoned by him i mean that's what the th- hammer does summons people i guess so yeah but it's like it's also the comments that thing says about thor like does he hate him or like him uh, i think it's like one of those things where in marvel comics it's like who's the strongest you got thor mm. versus you know the thing you got the thing versus the hulk you got the hulk versus thor so yeah. i think there's always like even though they all know they're like heroes the thing has to pretend like you know he's the tough guy he made he made a lot of fabio references i remember that yeah, Blondie and Goldilocks and Fabio and... Yeah. Oh, the Blondie at the hair salon, the Goldilocks, say, <laughs> hey. hey, Fabio, what are you doing? You know, it's yeah. that guy. Now, following their energy readings, they find an unconscious Thor clinging to a small asteroid, and Sue uses a force field to grab him and pull him into the ship. It's funny, it reminds me of the beginning of uh, Avengers Infinity War. Nah, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> no, no correlation at all. Just because Thor's flying around in space, getting picked up by a spaceship, doesn't mean it's the same thing. Okay, sorry. Yeah, but also, um, the thing did say he looked, you know, really good flying around <laughs> yeah. in space. It's a weird <laughs> comment to say. After saying all these things, he's like, eh, there he is, floating around in space, and he still looks as uh, attractive as ever. <laughs> I'm going to throw attractive. I know that's not the word, but <laughs> I can't think of it either way. He said he looked handsome or something like that. Still looks good looking. Yeah. You know, the thing seems to have a lot to say about a lot of things in this show. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's our uh, comic relief. Mm. Now, after uh, we get a, like a, a logo wipe, a silver Fantastic Four logo wipe, and now we're in the inside of the rocket ship. We see Thor still unconscious, floating in a containment pod filled with fluid. As well as thinking of like a Star Wars back to tank, but like yeah, that, horizontal. That, that's the best place to put him. Just like, instead of like, you know, vertical, it's horizontal. It's like, let's put him in this uh, tube with his clothes on. And water. Yeah, all good. <laughs> so they wonder, you know, what was so powerful that it knocked out the God of Thunder? Someone that Sue described as the most powerful person on Earth, which is a comment that the thing obviously takes exception to, and rightfully so. I mean, is Thor the most powerful person on the Earth? I mean, Hulk is certainly in the discussion. Many others as well. I think they, you know, Marvel likes to keep that pretty vague. But anyway, Sue thinks Thor's number one there in the rankings. 
But as the Fantastic Four venture further into space, they encounter a strange green cloud mass, and there's kind of like these tentacles or tendrils behind it. And as the clouds clear, they hear this loud, ancient voice coming from the the world ahead, commanding those of the third planet to heed him. And as they approach, there's the purple planet in front of them, and it opens its glowing yellow eyes and introduces himself as Ego, the living planet. So... How would you describe Ego's look here? Purple. <laughs> yes, purple. Very purple. It's just a big old purple face. And he does int- likes introducing himself, too. I'm Ego, you know. Well, a lot of characters... Large Ego. I love... Well, <laughs> Every character in this, I feel like, always keeps introducing himself, especially when they get around to Galactus or Thor. Yes. Anybody yes. is like, it's me, this guy. <laughs> but also, when everyone is challenged for power, they keep saying their name before doing the thing that they're going to do. It's like me walking to room and goes, and I'm just saying, like, it is me, Hamish. I have arrived to eat cake and watch Netflix. <laughs> and then I'm watching Netflix, like, this Netflix television series is not of a quality that me, Hamish, would enjoy. <laughs> I shall take this cake and make my leave. For I can only be stopped by the one equally as powerful as myself, Hamish. Then someone just hits me with a piece of wood. I'm like, well, that's enough. <laughs> that's, 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 that's enough to stop me. Also, the voiceover of, uh, of um, Ego is uh, K.E. Cutter. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, who's also from Monkey Island. Oh, there you go. There's a connection. <laughs> these again, just, these voiceover artists have all basically done a Monkey Island. Yeah, just, every, just every time I remember it, because I played Monkey Island a lot when I was a kid, and that was like in think 1997, and so he did this in 1994, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so yeah, a lot of voiceover artists I keep hearing. I'm like, oh yeah, he's from Monkey Island, or oh he's from this thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Just, just a side note, but um, to summarize my entire thing, uh, purple. Yes, very purple, and, you know, it's a, he's a living planet, so it's, I guess they had a hard time trying to demonstrate this. So he had, like, these shifting, constantly changing mm. terrains. They kind of switched between, like, mountains and honeycombs and tentacles. Mm. I didn't get the beard, though. Yeah, like, he he's a planet, a- right? Yeah, and he has a beard. Yes, that's directly from the comics. I know, but that's a fashion choice, right? He couldn't shave himself? He couldn't just have a face? I guess if he did just get rid of the beard, right? I mean, texturing for that planet would look cool. But if he got rid of the beard, it'd just look like... You know when you draw a, a face on a sun? Mm-hmm. It would look like that. Yeah, I can yeah. understand why they put a beard on there just for, like, texturing and give him a little bit of, you know, wise old man character. But, you know, right. it's still a weird choice. Now, let's let's just pause here for a little backstory on the character of Ego. The Living Planet. Uh, it's fitting that Thor shows up in this episode because Ego made his first appearance in issues of the Mighty Thor with a cameo in uh, number 132, a full appearance later. It was all written by uh, Stan Lee and art by Jack Kirby. Uh, he made more appearances in Thor stories and then he showed up in John Byrne's run of Fantastic Four, uh, number 234 and 235. Uh, the storyline from those issues is what this episode is based on. So his origin is a little murky. I think it was said in one comic in the 60s that Ego was the result of a scientist merging with a planet when the planet's sun exploded. I don't know if that's still his origin, but because he's a planet, naturally, he and Galactus, the devourer of worlds, were destined to clash, which they did, with Thor also getting in the middle of it uh, the first time Thor sided with Ego in the fight. This is because Thor and Ego had already clashed 
Ego was humbled in defeat and allowed himself to be home to an alien race. Then the second time, Thor sides with Galactus because Ego is somehow tampered with and he goes insane. And so Galactus ends up attaching giant engines to Ego to drive him away. And Ego eventually figures out how to control the engines, which brings us to the events of this episode. So when you think of Ego now, probably the best known as the main antagonist of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where his human avatar was played by Kurt Russell. And in that movie, there is a scene, we do get a brief look at Ego as a purplish planet with a face. You know, they do have that cutaway in, in one scene. But uh, mostly we get to know him through his human form. On another note, in the movie, uh, Ego, in you know, Kurt Russell, Ego, identifies himself as a celestial. And he's not in the comics. Celestials are these giant, ancient, robotic-looking creatures. You know, again, just great Jack Kirby art. And uh, in fact, in Guardians Volume 1, we get a, a projection that the Collector shows when he's explaining what the Infinity Stones are. And we get this Celestial with one of the stones on a staff. That's actually Eson the Searcher, one of Jack Kirby's uh, Celestials. So, uh, you know, they did that for the movies, that's fine, but that's not what he is in the comics. But anyway, that's, that's basically what Ego is. Oh, he's a circle with a face on it. And what we know from Ego is that um, Ego is not a dirty word. Yes. That's just for anyone who knows the band Skyhawks. I'm just throwing that in for anybody else who's listening. I have no idea what you're talking about. Local band, never mind about it. I was trying to play along for your sake. Okay, it's low. You, it's you very can play local. along. No, I know. I know you won't know what it is, but like, yeah. Now I'm said it, but look it up. Skyhooks, really good band. Uh, okay. This song called Ego, no dirty word. Okay, nice, very nice. Well, hey, I said cricket ball, and you got all upset. So you know, I don't want to. Hey, I'm also upset. I'm also upset that we don't have any superheroes here in Australia, and I don't think at any point we'll ever see Australia. Let's say Australia that isn't Sydney. In any of those Marvel films. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You always yeah. get that opera house in every movie. Oh, every time. They think that's the capital. So back to the episode here. Ego invites the Fantastic Four to feel his wrath as he fires green beams from his eyes at their rocket, causing it to careen down towards Ego's surface. And detecting oxygen in Ego's atmosphere, Johnny flies out of the rocket and burns kind of a flat runway into the surface for Ben to land the ship. Uh, upon landing, they know they have little time before Ego pinpoints their exact location. Which, I mean, really, I guess it's like trying to find a mosquito on your leg. It shouldn't take you that long. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Sue notices a gigantic metal structure with two tall flaming columns. The whole thing is like the size of a city. And Reed correctly identifies it as an array of thruster rockets. It's a, it's a big engine that Ego uses to move. And so if they can knock them out in some way, they can halt Ego's progress towards Earth. But uh, I guess they spend a little too much time chatting because Ego finds them, growing tentacles from the ground and wrapping them around each of the Fantastic Four members. So as the Fantastic Four, they're, they're slowly being dragged into the bubbling sludge below. There's nerves and sinew and bones, they start to rise. I, this is a little graphic for a kid's show. I was kind of surprised when I saw this, but this is all combining in front of them and it takes shape. And the sloppy mess combines to create a human-shaped form of ego that's their size, you know, and can speak to them. It's kind of the, the closest approximation we get of like the Kurt Russell avatar. Yeah, it is kind of like a... He comes out of, like, goo, and he's still very purple and pink. Yeah, he stays on, on brand. I'll say, I have to say, this this episode's very gooey. 
Yeah, very just lo- yes. There's a lot of characters falling into colored sludge, goo, <laughs> goop, any kind of like squishy material. It's just like <laughs> like that, just landing in it, just splat. Yeah, I'm sure there was commercials for Gak after that too. So yeah. Oh man, in the '90s, Gak was the biggest thing. You know, they didn't know really how to sell it. Kids didn't know really how to play with it, but you could get it, throw it at walls. That yep. was it. Kids, kids couldn't get enough of that gek, eating it by the bucket loads. And Floam just wasn't the same. Floam. <laughs> so anyway, why, this- why, why were the product, why do things like that just have some weird names? Hey I kids, instead of goop, it's gek. Want some Floam? You know, foam? Just, no Floam. Just, just say words, guys. <laughs> so anyway. Ego now, you know, in this, like, human-sized form, tells them that he is being tracked by a sworn enemy and will exact revenge on their world and its populace. Now, that threat, that doesn't make much sense, but we'll get the whole story a little later. And from those words, we fade to black and the Fantastic Four logo. So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break, so we will take a commercial break ourselves, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Hey Scott. Yes. We uh we get we got another get another sponsor for this one. Yes, we do. This one came through the fax machine just the other day uh, for a company called uh, Comfortable Cloud. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, the uh, Comfortable Cloud mattress. Uh, I got one. They they sent it to me. It comes in let's see, two sizes. Super King. Wait, what's and the I other size? Smaller King. That must be the one that I have. It's not a king size bed. You, uh, you open the box, it's really cool, it's all compressed, uh, you let it sit there for about three months, and then it decompresses to the size of a regular mattress. Um, wait, the spring- wait, 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 what are you doing in the three months? You sleep on the floor, I guess, that's what I do. Oh, okay, that sounds, that sounds kind of slow. Well, I mean, it's, it's good because by the time it's ready, like, your back is but um, it's pretty good. I mean, the, the springs are kind of bent in a couple of spots, but you just, you know, put a pillow over where they're sticking out. Other than that, yeah, very comfortable, like a cloud, you know, aptly named. Wait, hang on. Is cloud spelt with a C or a K? Uh, K. The, the guy turns up to it in a van. Is he wearing a green shirt? Yes, he was. Ah, uh, Frank! Oh my goodness. Let me guess, the check, did you did you try cashing the check? There was no check. How did we well, even get face. this? There was no check. There was just like a slice of broccoli. Like, and it said money. And we're back. Okay, now when we return, the heroes struggle to stay above this bubbling, gooey, purple gack surface as Ego continues to pull them down with those tentacles. But eventually, each of the four is able to use their powers to break free. The thing, however, he's the only one that can't fly or kind of spring back up to the ship, so he's the only one that begins to sink. Uh, Fortunately, this is the moment that Thor wakes up from his coma and throws his hammer past him, allowing Ben to grab hold and, you know, that momentum pulls him out. So after exchanging some gratitude and pleasantries, Thor directs the group towards the giant city-sized engine that allows Ego to move. So we next cut to the team on an airborne kind of mini-scooter type of craft. I guess they had that stowed away in the rocket. I guess they do, just in case. This kind of rocket bike thing. Yeah. They uh, they did make, like, a thing scooter, like a, but it was purple and green for the action figure. 
Mm. It, it almost was like similar in shape to this. And Johnny and Thor just kind of fly alongside, I guess, for moral <laughs> support because they don't really need to, to fly with, you know, sit on the thing. But mm. uh, as they speed forward, Thor in a flashback tells them how he used his hammer to detect the incoming ego. And then he <laughs> opened a portal into deep space where he tried to stop him. There's some great animation here as we see what it's like for Thor to attempt to fight an entire planet, you know, with this purple waves and weird appendages and swirling tornadoes and stuff. It's pretty funny. Well, he, 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 had, a, he had a crack at it, I gotta say that. For guys like, well, time to fight an entire planet. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's the equivalent of you going outside and then punching the ground. That's yes. all I can assume. <laughs> so if you want to try this at home, this is the only thing I'm going to say. It's not going to hurt anybody beyond yourself. Go outside, find your favorite weapon, point at the ground, and see if you, <laughs> see if you can take on the earth. <laughs> because it seems seems very hard, especially if you want to try, like, you have to fight all the elements of earth too, which is like the trees, the dirt, up to you. <laughs> see, see which one comes at you first. But again, it's pointless. You know, Thor gets defeated because Ego blasts him with those those pesky eye beams again. Now, fading back from the flashback, Thor explains how with his last bit of strength, he used the hammer to summon the Fantastic Four with the hope that reason and intellect would ultimately prevail. Uh, here's a little spoiler for the episode. It does not. Just then... Ego takes the form of a cloud face and fires a beam of green energy rings from his forehead, uh, shutting down the vehicle and knocking everyone back. The thing lands in a crater full of, you guessed it, goo. Mm. And as he crawls out, he fails to notice behind him there's, there's an army of these strange, like, faceless creatures forming behind him. Uh, in the comics, these are kind of known as Ego's antibodies. They form to fight intruders, much like, you know, what takes place inside of the human body, not to call back to the Iron Man episode. Let's try to forget about that as much as possible. But, um, yeah, these are like antibodies, but on a much larger scale. Mm. Again, we're learning more about the human body. It's it's a it's a exciting time. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not the human body, it's the humanoid objects that come out of a face planet <laughs> that's alive. Yes. Again, I'm not a doctor, but Reed Richards no. is... But I don't think a medical doctor? No, I wouldn't, yeah. Who Who is a medical doctor around here? Wait, isn't uh, Sue, Sue, Sue's a doctor, right? Uh, I mean, Doctor Strange is, but he's not here. Yeah, well, you know, well, you know he's, he's a medical doctor, but I think most of his time is spent on the mystical elements now. Yeah, he's pretty Again, strange. again... Uh, 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 uh. But, um, here's the thing, if you went to, like... Could Doctor Strange, like, write prescriptions? Because I'm just thinking, like, if Spider-Man <laughs> turns up, he's like, ah, I got this, like, cramp in my foot. I need some ointment for it. This is the fifth time you've come this week. Just go see a real doctor. It's like, I can't afford it! He probably would just make them appear. Like, he probably wouldn't even, like, write them out. Again, but if the I handwriting would still be bad. <laughs> if, if I was Spider-Man just getting mystical elements, or, like, he's like, let me make some Vicodin appear out of nowhere! <laughs> and Spy's like, yeah, I'm not gonna take that. So, anyway... You know, thing turns around. We get this little bit of lighthearted, jaunty music. Like, all of a sudden it changes, and the thing starts punching these little purple antibody men. And he's happy that he finally has something to clobber. You know, it's the closest we're going to get to clobbering time in this episode. But uh, Mr. Fantastic takes it much more seriously, commanding Human Torch to clear a path all the way up to the thrusters. So, with everybody doing their part to fight back, Thor and the Fantastic Four finally make it up there. 
Uh, Johnny buys them some time. He creates this wall of fire on the ground below and it, it keeps the those antibody fighters back. And Reed's looking around up there and he's just astonished by the technology. The size of the engine is unlike anything he's ever seen, but hmm, it seems somehow oddly familiar. The thing just wants to start punching the thrusters. And Thor agrees, that's that's the way to go. <laughs> but right away they see the need for another plan. I mean, it's just, things punch doesn't do anything, Thor's hammer doesn't do anything. Yeah, I like, I like, I like how, like, you know, Thor... Here's the thing, this characterization of Thor is literally uh, a textbook example of what Thor is. Like, yeah. he's not the Chris Hemsworth one where he's like, I must go outside and do all the stuff. Sounds like that. <laughs> he's, he's basically... He's basically I, Thor, like, think of, like, an actor who's doing an impression of a character who's in a Shakespeare play. You know, he's, he sounds like a book. Yeah. You know, well, these days, Thor's pretty pretty casual, I say, a little bit more casual these days. He's still in that kind of vein of speaking in a very um, grandiose manner, but not, <laughs> not in this overdone um, Shakespearean manner. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, he grew as a character in the movies, but here we get the, just the original you know, bold, grand declarations. I think it's funny. I think uh, in this episode, Thing also declares himself son of, you know, I forget what his parents' names are. So, you know, mm. he does it back to him. This is kind of funny. But again, they, they try to fight the engines and it doesn't even make a dent. Reed figures that part of the thruster's power shields it from direct assault. And the only one that has the power to destroy these engines is the one that put them there. Galactus. Gasp. Yeah, I know, that's the big reveal. Because remember, it, it seemed oddly familiar. Previous to this episode, Galactus had attempted to satisfy his hunger by consuming the energies of the planet Earth. And with the help of Silver Surfer and the Watcher, uh, they were able to threaten the use of uh, one of Galactus's weapons, the Ultimate Nullifier, against him. And mm -hmm. it was basically this big storyline where Galactus came to feed, he was thwarted by the Fantastic Four, and agreed to leave. You know, classic story from the comics. But we learn here that Reed has been tracking Galactus ever since that last encounter. And he asks Thor if he could take him to those coordinates. And Thor explains, well, the hammer's only good to protect himself and one other. So Reed volunteers and the rest of the team was told to go back to the ship and wait. He can't make two trips? He probably could, although he would leave Reed in deep space and he I wouldn't well, be able to breathe, so. It's it's fine. He's he's a rubber. <laughs> he, he knows. But like how, how dramatic it gets. Because remember, like, in this sequence, there's a lot of fire thanks to Johnny. And in the background, it's all this fire. And when he comes up with his plan, it was like, I, I was like, I have to go and talk to Galactus. You know, one-on-one. -on -one. Also, Thor will be there. So, one-on-one -on -one and an extra. Yes. It gets very dramatic with, like, he and Sue... To the point where, like, you know, they do this whole, oh, like, I'd say Telemundo dramatic <laughs> scene where they're looking at each other, like, she's like, oh, oh, read, what if you don't return, and something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. like, the, the whole set, because there's this is orange fire in the background, and the way they're positioning the camera with this, you know, two shot, it kind of looks like Gone with the Wind. Yeah, yeah. That kind of, that kind of visual. Especially yeah, with the, just with how dramatic it gets for that one particular moment, and like you know how <laughs> Sue has to play the female character who's worried about her man. Yeah, she they kind of make her that, but they do give Sue like the master plan here too, which mm. is good. 
But before Reed leaves in that, you know, that dramatic scene where they kiss and all that, like you're mentioning, he, mm. he tells Ben to move the uh, the lower auxiliary power packs to help weaken Ego in the meantime. And we see that these power packs are huge batteries. Like, they're the size of, like, I don't know, big vending machines. And they're just sitting there at the base of the thrusters. Mm. And Reed warns Ben, you know, be careful, they're, they're highly explosive. Handle them with kids. He says, handle them with kid gloves. <laughs> A guy made of rock. Like, yeah, who's really. Like, who's like a violent dude with rocky hands and rocky fingers. Yeah, this, is, this will be fine. <laughs> so, so anyway, with the plan set, everyone springs into action. We get the, the, the kiss goodbye. Uh, Johnny launches a fire attack to kind of disperse the fighters gathered below. Thor spins the hammer in the air, and they leave into deep space to, to face Galactus. But Sue is kind of worried now that Galactus, you know, what, what if he doesn't agree to help? So Ben, with a, a plan in his back pocket, does what Reed asked him to do, and he rips out one of the giant batteries. Uh, meanwhile, down below, Johnny notices that the antibody fighters have now mutated to be immune to fire, so they can now just walk right through the fire barrier and climb up the engines. So Johnny wants to fly Sue and Ben back to the ship, just as Reed said to do, but instead, Sue has Ben grab the power pack and floats them over to a deep cavern. Ego is waiting for them, taking the form of a wave. It's almost like he's one of the, the Wonder Twins. But uh, Sue just you know, drops her Ben and the battery all down into this hole. This is like the only hole on the planet not filled with goo. Again, he did say handle the battery of kid gloves and they're just falling into a hole. Yeah, that could have been very bad. Anyway, uh, cutting to Thor and Mr. Fantastic, they exit their portal at Galactus's most recent location, and there's this fleet of starships flying around rock fragments. Panning over, we see a scorched and cracked planet with a giant glowing hole, and we could see that Galactus had evidently just fed on the homeworld of an advanced civilization. And Thor is so upset. You know, he's angered by the idea that, you know, you'd seek an alliance with such a villain, but they have no choice. They gotta do it. Yeah. So just then we see a blue glow surround them and they're teleported inside of Galactus's ship where they stand before his new herald because if you saw the uh, the other episodes with Galactus, Silver Surfer was the herald. He was the, kind of the scout for Galactus. No longer. Now it's Terax the Tamer that we see here. Terax the Tamer is the worst name. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, Silver Surfer you could say, that's a stupid name just because he's silver and he's a surfer. It's like, yeah, but he's a cosmic surfer. That's how cool he is. And he has powers. And, he, yeah. and his whole whole shtick looks awesome. And, you know, he does, he has like, he's very reflective. You put him in a disco, you know, he's the, he's the center of attention. You just shine some lasers <laughs> off him. He looks cool. But this guy, Terax the guy, <laughs> I forgot his last name. Tamer. Tamer. I don't know how that works on a business card. I'm a tamer. By trade, I'm also an architect. Um, Terox the Tamer just sounds like he's he's like either A, a cleaning product for your clothing to really tame those colors, <laughs> yep. or B, some sort of medical shampoo use to you know, really get some moisture back into your hair and get rid of that you know, scalp issue that you have. Yeah, yeah. Tames your hair and the relentless scalp condition that you got. Yeah, tame those flakes. Yeah, with some Terox. <laughs> so next, uh, Terex introduces his boss, the Devourer of Worlds, and behind a massive set of doors, complete with a G logo. I love how <laughs> he's another one like Professor X. He has to have yeah. his initial. His thing. I know he's got a massive G on it. I could, I, I, I could assume that was Inspector Gadget, but the reveal, <laughs> I thought he was going to be bigger. Like, I thought it was like it would be, you, the door would open, you'd see maybe part of his head, and he'd be like in a big <laughs> chair. But instead, he's just like maybe three guys... Height, that's it. 
He's not exactly imposing. It would be funny, like, just the foot comes out of the, the giant door. It's me, Galactus. I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, you figure the the action figures were five inches, and the Galactus mm. here that I got is 14. It's, a, mm. you know, almost three times the size. That's, That's about the scale you get in the cartoon, but yeah, he should be bigger. And so Galactus turns around and with glowing red eyes, again, that's just like the toy here, tells Reed Richards that his hour is struck and his final page is writ. So not the warmest welcome here. And on this moment, the music gets dramatic and we fade to black and a Fantastic Four logo taking us to another commercial break. So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break. So why don't we take a break ourselves? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back. Uh, Scott? Mm-hmm, yes. This is a ad. I know you, I know you, you, you don't want to do another ad, but we got um, another queued up ad here. All right. Yeah, um, this one came, basically a dog came through the back door and it had this note attached to it. Okay. Um, but it's about, what is this? It's called Future Pants. Oh, yes, Future Pants, yes. I did, I did get the email. That's funny, because the email is at the bottom, it's signed with a, like, a picture of a dog paw, so I guess I'm assuming that's the same company here. Future Pants, they're the, uh, the antimicrobial pants, and it says here in the ad copy to pronounce antimicrobial correctly, and... Uh, antimicrobial. Yeah, they said we would be the first podcast in history to pronounce antimicrobial correctly, so that's, that's kind of cool. Antimicrobial. So, yeah. But yeah, they're good. I, I, they they sent us a pair a couple weeks yeah. ago. I've never had pants with instructions. This is interesting. Why did it come with an 18-page handout? What's I don't know. This is way too long for an ad read. This is like half. This would be like half the episode if I read this. Don't put it in the sun. Sorry, just. No, it says don't read that. It says don't read that part. Keep out of water. Keep dry. But never keep it dry and next to water. What? Oh, if pants don't fit good, return to. Oh, come on, Franco! What? What was he, he making pants? He does have a dog. Oh, that's why he bought the. That's right. He he doesn't he leave the house. He had a dog. Attaches the product to a dog. This is. We gotta change hey, let, the address. Let me, just, let me guess. You did not get paid, right? Well, I thought that. Well, I mean, you got the on... pants. We got at least we got pants out of it, and I got a lousy well, that I gotta get rid of. I, th I thought the dog was gonna come back with the check. And we're back. Okay, now when we return, Thor and Mr. Fantastic stand before the towering Galactus with Terax. He's kind of off to the side, standing guard as he stands on a floating rock, which I thought was funny. Because if, if you check out the Terax action figure, which I, I do have, he came with a, a slab of rock to stand on, so that's like his thing. And uh, Thor speaks to Galactus with a threatening tone, but that Reed, you know, he's humbly pleading for his help. And Galactus asks why he should involve himself in any petty mortal affairs. And Reed basically replies by telling him that Earth faces destruction and it's all his fault. <laughs> I like that. It's, it's all his fault. It's like, well, you know, maybe. Sugarcoated a little bit, Reed, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 he's coming on a little bit strong. I mean, I get. I mean, I, I, he has this whole deal with you know Galactus, don't destroy Earth, but also he needs some help. He needs some help from the big guy. Maybe don't point too many fingers. 
Yeah, not yet. Yeah. So from here, we cut to Sue, Johnny, and Ben, who come to after, you know, falling into that deep cavern. Now deep within Ego, they find themselves, it's kind of like this craggy system of caves. There's nerves and veins along the walls, dripping moisture. It's it's something in between being inside of a cave and being in the belly of a monster. I, I just it's so funny that back to back the Iron Man and Fantastic Four episodes are like being inside of a person or you know a being. Mm. So in here, <laughs> just, just a weird way to say it. Well, because I'm, I'm trying to. Well, obviously, Hawkeye and Ego are not the same thing. But it's like no, know, no, Ego is so much better than Hawkeye. They're both purple. So anyway, so so Sue now tells them her big plan. So she she's saying they need to locate the center of Ego's consciousness and use the explosive energy of the power pack to destroy him. Basically, she wants to blow up his brain. Very inelegant solution. Now, despite Johnny's calling the plan a suicide mission, Sue explains that they have no choice, and with each passing second, Ego's getting closer to Earth. As Sue lays out the worst-case scenario, this cuts to a scene of what would happen if Ego reaches Earth, and we see him approach, and he's using his green, those green eye beams, and he blows up the Earth. And it gets worse. We also see poor Alicia Masters, the thing's girlfriend. And she's in a panic as chunks of the ceiling fall in on her, and then we cut to the entire city toppling as the, the ground cracks open. I like how she was. She mentions those few people. Yeah. That's it. Like those people will be, will be destroyed. It's like okay. Well, yeah. remember she's she's trying to convince Ben, you know. But uh, in this scene, when we see Ego next to the Earth, he's drawn rather small. I, I guess that's to keep him in frame. But he he's like smaller than the moon. If he stuck around long enough, he could have been downgraded like Pluto. He would have been a uh, you know Ego the living planetoid. A, a giant talking planet getting downgraded. I think you know, he does. He does a lot more than what Pluto can do. <laughs> but uh, but but hearing Sue's story, that's enough for Ben. So now, with super heroic determination, he picks up the battery and walks further into the cave, telling Sue he's going to blow Ego's mind. I'm like, okay, huh? Uh... So back to th- back to Thor and Reed. Reed tells Galactus that Ego is traveling to Earth using the thrusters that only Galactus could have installed. And while Terax is, you know, dismissing this charge, saying the almighty Galactus can't be bothered with the fate of fleas, which, oh, you got fleas on your planet too? You know what those are? That's interesting. Galactus does take responsibility. He does admit that in all of the cosmos, only Ego's power has rivaled his. So, we get a flashback to Ego's battle with Galactus, if that's what you want to call it, as Galactus explains that Ego tried to destroy the galaxy he claimed as his. We see Galactus, he just, basically how he fights is he stands out in space on the ledge of his massive spaceship, and he he has, you know, his fists all lit up, and he blasts Ego with bursts of yellow cosmic power. And Ego, I don't know, what is Ego doing here? Is it some sort of shield? Uh, he's putting up an AT field. Uh, it's it's my only defense. He's just, he puts up a field of energy which we can't we can see, but you know I can't see. I mean, my only uh, equivalent is an AT field from Neon Genesis. It's He's an it's, AT field. It's like a crystalline-looking shield. Like I don't know if it's supposed to be an atmosphere thing, but that's all he does. And we see the massive engine piece itself together on Ego's surface, sending it into the vast void of interstellar <laughs> space, which is pretty funny. I just like, like that's his plan. Yeah. It's just like, well, I can't deal with this. So, um, like, but like, here's the thing: like, how do you get it on there though? Like, yeah, he couldn't deal with him, and he's fighting him with these cosmic powers from a distance, and that's like. I guess when he's asleep, I'll just put this on him, and then I'll let someone else deal with his rubbish. That's what it seems like. It's like, well, I can't deal with this right now, so I'm just going to put some rockets to it and send it to the uh, edge of the universe. So, uh, goodbye. 
And to add insult to injury, he puts one of his continents in warm water while he's asleep. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> Made an ocean. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'll get you, you trickster. So Reed, of course, being the most intelligent man on the earth, now puts all of the pieces of the story and the episode together. Ego took control of the engines, swore revenge on Galactus for putting them there, followed the trail of dead planets to find him, and found that the Earth wasn't dead, just the opposite. It was teeming with life. So Ego makes the assumption, well, the only way a planet would be left alone by Galactus is if the inhabitants are his friends. So he decides to attack the Earth to get back at Galactus and draw him out to another one of those, you know, epic battles. Now, I, I just have mm. to pause here. Th this is the part of the story where we finally get the whole story about the battle in space and, like, the revenge plot and everything. But one thing is never answered. Why was there an earthquake in New York, flooding in Spain, hurricanes in Tahiti, you know, all that stuff? Where did that come from? Uh, I, I literally don't know. Because <laughs> it's like, ego is one thing and Galactus is another, and Galactus wasn't really paying attention to Earth, so I don't know. Maybe it was the Mole Man. Yeah, it's just so weird that there's all this devastation around the Earth, but Ego wasn't there yet. But then the sky was on fire, but that was actually from Thor's hammer. So how was Ego doing all of this? I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of a... <laughs> that's, that's it. It's like, I don't know, man. It's just, it literally seems like a, this call to danger was from something completely unrelated. <laughs> So hearing the the full story now, Thor threatens Galactus, you know, undo all of the harm you've done or face my wrath. And Galactus agrees. Well, not because of that threat, but he sees an opportunity to make a deal. He will help them if they agree to release him from his promise to never feed on the Earth. So trading an immediate threat for a distant threat, Reed reluctantly accepts Galactus's terms with Terex smiling. So we cut back to Sue, Johnny, and Ben, and meanwhile, they're making their way even deeper inside of Planet Ego. <laughs> I think it's like we're trading one death for another. Yeah, pretty much. Johnny and Sue at this point, they're just doubled over in exhaustion. They're struggling to breathe because the air pressure is growing, you know, with every step. Ben, however, much more resistant because of the rocky skin. <laughs> he just, like, pretty much decides he's going to go it alone and throws Sue and Johnny onto this cluster of soft mushroom-like growths <laughs> that just happened to be there. It uh, continues on his own. Everything's very weird on that planet. <laughs> it's just, everything's either mushy, wet, goopy, gack-like crazy yeah but i mean have you seen hawkeye's adrenal gland no i don't i don't spend time inside the human anatomy <laughs> oh sorry but then I, again got you, I got you confused with ultimo <laughs> you mean you mean in uh, just near sydney in sydney oh no yeah um never mind <laughs> <laughs> So Johnny flies Sue to the rocket on the surface just as Galactus's ship teleports into view. So they, they're trying to radio to Reed, you know, don't do anything, Ben is still in there, he's still inside the planet. But the communicator was damaged when they landed, okay. Uh, Johnny decides to fly the rocket to Galactus's ship to tell them in person, but now Reed looks and he sees the rocket ship and assumes, okay, they're already taken off the planet, everyone safely aboard. So now, as spotting Galactus standing outside on the ledge of his spaceship, Ego approaches, you know, declaring his vengeance. The two of them exchange energy blasts, making grand declarations about being the most powerful. Meanwhile, inside, Ben slowly and very weakly reaches Ego's gigantic, writhing, and pulsating brain. Hmm. Yes. 
So we're, we're getting to it. Another brain in this Marvel action hour. Hmm. Yeah. This one he didn't miss. <laughs> he wasn't making fun of either. <laughs> so cutting back to the battle, Reed notices that the two are evenly matched. So he offers to alter the circuits in the dimensional generator on Galactus's ship. And basically what we learn is that there's a machine there and by altering it, they can use Thor's hammer to amplify Galactus's cosmic power somehow. And I guess it just kind of tips the scales in Galactus's favor. So <laughs> Galactus accepts... And allows Reed to start to make the changes to the machine. Well, you know, cosmic powers, magic, and um, Reed Richards' super smart brain smarts. I wish I got a job writing for this show. Yeah, but like, I don't, I don't know how that works. We're like, you could put anything together. It's like, if I take Spider-Man's web shooter and the hammer of Thor, combine it with the powers of the, you know, infernal engines... <laughs> I can make a web shooter which travels through time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's like that, that makes sense. Just throw some Kirby crackle on that, we're done. Yeah, and then you just have, like, Tony Stark off to the side going, yes, yes, the calculations are, are ironclad. And they're like, uh, Iron Man, why? You didn't need to say that. It's like, ha <laughs> guys, I'm just here, ironclad. What we should do is shrink inside Galactus and uh, travel through his body to power him up. Yeah. <laughs> Hank, Pym, Hank Pym turns up like, you were stealing my bit! <laughs> just can't get over it like, I'm the guy who gets big and small what the heck <laughs> so back to this battle as Galactus fires Ego too fires more of that you know green energy the green beams from his eyes but just as the two beams are about to meet the Fantastic Four rocket gets right between them and gets blasted you know on either side sending it tumbling off course now in reality Sue and Johnny should have been instantly vaporized but mm. instead you know they're spinning around, and we cut inside as Sue realizes that Ego could be destroyed with Ben still inside. Cutting back to Ben, he's now deep inside the brain of Ego and tosses the battery down into the center, causing an explosion. I think, again, he makes a baseball reference. Like, here's the wind-up in the pitch. Something like mm, that. Mm. It's, it, there's always time for levity. Now, back to the battle in space, we see the shocked expression on Ego's face as he begins to groan. And uh, with him significantly weakened, Thor now sets up that reconfigured machine outside of the spaceship behind Galactus. And he channels energy from Mjolnir through the machine into Galactus, causing Galactus to glow and radiate this bright orange energy. As the energy hits Ego as these orange rings, he screams and we see explosions taking place all across his surface. Now, Sue and Johnny, they barely escape, getting teleported inside of Galactus's ship along with Reed and Thor, but they immediately run over it to tell him, like, no, no, Ben is still there, he's still there. And Thor, not missing a beat, kind of just <clears throat> spins his hammer in the air, teleports to Ben's exact location, and teleports the two of them back with the rest of the team. So really, you know, he was fine. Yeah, I told you, he could have just done that <laughs> yes. in the beginning, could have just teleported people back and forth, but instead... Here's the other thing, I think they actually don't call his ham Mjolnir, if you notice in the show, they just call it, like, Thor's hammer, and when he says the hammer, he says it's Uru metal or he Uru said, hammer. He said both. He, they did say Mjolnir, and then because I didn't remember, hearing, yeah, because I, I wasn't hearing much of him saying Mjolnir. I guess because it's a weird thing for people to say. Yeah, um, but I kept saying the the powers of the Uru hammer. Uh, Reed said both. I think he called it Mjolnir when it showed up in the lab, hmm. and then he mentioned the the was it Uru Uru Uru. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he, I did check to make sure, but yeah, mm. that was weird. So meanwhile, you know, as this is all going on, 
Ego begins to implode until he becomes a faceless, lumpy, gray rock mass. And then I guess that wasn't enough because then he yells one more time and explodes in a giant yellow burst. <laughs> well, well, he had to have bang for your buck. What, what was going to happen? Like, he's like, ah, and then he turns into a rock. It's like, oh, yeah. uneventful. Well, first of all, I mean... I, I was surprised for a kid's show where they're like, yeah, we're going to blow up his brain. And then you see the guy in agony as this, you know, explosion goes on inside of his brain. It's like, oh, man. And then he becomes like this lumpy gray rock mass. And you could be like, OK, well, ego becomes this dormant rock. Like that's that's what he gets. But then it, then he screams and explodes and, and it leaves nothing but floating rocks and like green goo and tentacles. I'm like, oh, man. They really gave it to him in this episode. Well, he was going to kill them. Yeah, but I mean, you know, still, like, usually they find some sort of solution. Like, you know, Reed would be the one to come up with the, well, we'll put engines on him and fire him into space and we'll never see him again. Hey, hey, no mercy for evil planets, bro. <laughs> I guess. I mean, you know, the laws of man are only the laws of man. But when it turns into celestial space creatures, then the laws are broken. And we must destroy them. It is written. I feel like you're <laughs> referencing something I don't know. No, it's just if I say it like that, it sounds like it's supposed to be something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> something worth of well, something worth of note. Well, it's like if we work together to destroy the evil planet, then uh, maybe it is to be said to be done. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, again, they're in space. No laws in space. You can blow up a planet. Looks like man. Whatever. I guess. Space law doesn't exist. There's no, there's no Green Lantern out there. I mean, there's the Nova Corps, but like, you know, not, they're not the Green Lantern. They're not doing yeah. the, the whole space policing thing. <laughs> uh, so back on the ship, we cut to the thing's point of view as he wakes up with the other Fantastic Four members. They're looking down at him. Uh, we learn that Ben's rocky hide is the only thing that saved him from the explosive decompression. Uh, he's also shocked to learn that he owes his life to Thor, who, <laughs> this is where he calls him, yeah, Fabio of the Fjords. Yeah. Oh, Fabio of the Fjords, I owe my life to this guy. <laughs> hey, whatever. I don't care. Also, you, call, also you called my butt, was it rock hide? Yes. But Thor, you know, he calls it a privilege. He says, you know, it's a privilege to save someone as noble as thee or whatever. And they shake mm. hands. Uh, just then, though, they're interrupted. There's this holographic projection of Galactus's head that appears in the room. Galactus bids Reed farewell, but reminds him that because of their deal, you know, the Earth is now once again fair game for when he hungers again. But he tells him that he's not hungry at the moment, perhaps another day. And, uh, you know, we cut to him re-entering his ship and teleporting away back into deep space. And as the Fantastic Four and Thor watch Galactus depart with, you know, very serious expressions on their faces, Reed replies, yes, another day. And with tense, dramatic music, we fade to black. Then the Fantastic Four logo and closing credits. It's, it's a great uplifting ending, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really dour ending to the story. But I, I, I gotta mention this, because we, we can't leave it on this, you know, kind of sour note here, but the story arc with Galactus, it gets picked up two episodes later. It's a very complicated plot. Basically, it ends up with Galactus dying on Earth and everybody wanting him dead except Reed Richards, who understands that Galactus is not a villain. He is a force of nature. He, he should be alive. So Reed does save his life and Galactus calls him his friend or 
as close of an approximation to friendship with a flea as one could have. But that's, you know, it has a happy ending. Galactus, you know, he doesn't come back for the Earth. But uh, that brings us to the end of our tale. So, Hamish, what, what are your thoughts now upon revisiting Fantastic Four for the podcast? I feel like we experienced yet another body horror kind of thing. Or <laughs> yes. a, a, a body adventure from Iron Man to this. Also, back to back. How, how come the Avengers didn't want to go with them? There were plenty of Avengers. Plenty of Avengers that could have helped them. Yeah. You know? Yes. Could have gotten Iron Man, gone through space, science, everything. Could have been cool. Definitely could have helped. You know? But instead, they're like, ah, we'll, we'll take care of it. We're fine. We don't, <laughs> we don't need extra help fighting a cosmic being. It's, it's cool. It's four of us. Mostly Reed. Mostly Reed talking to the guy. Yep. Bro- brokering deals with a space entity of yeah. weird proportions. I don't know, he's, couldn't he just eat like a giant salad if he wants energy, not planets? This version seems big enough that if you just put him next to some food, he'll be fine. Like, it's a lot of <laughs> steak. He'll be like, oh, this is pretty good. I don't need to crack open planets and eat the gooey insides. That's my assumption of Galactus. He's, he's breaking into planets and eating them like Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> do, do you have Vegemite cream eggs there? No. Because you do have that- the Cadbury Vegemite bars, though, don't you? That, that was a limited run. That was, like, I think maybe a year or two ago. And, like, it was a limited run of this Cadbury Vegemite. And it was really good because it wasn't, it wasn't like they jammed Vegemite into the Cadbury. It was, like, the chocolate Cadbury. But inside they made a, a, a caramel Vegemite ganache. Oh. That was really good. I Hey, I really liked it. I wanted more of it. And I realized, you know, that would be my end. If they decided to make that constantly throughout the year, uh, my fitness would go just through the floor all the b vitamins you'd get out oh of it. i i i, th- I think the 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 sugar intake will be higher <laughs> than the monochrome of uh b vitamins i'm getting from let's say a caramel and chocolate mixture <laughs> you know i might as well just eat a jar of vegemite i, I would which, recommend you know. to anybody that wants to follow along with the this episode like anytime you see someone fall into like goo like black goo Take a spoonful of Vegemite and eat along with the episode. I think it'll give you a, another dimension to the entertainment. I'll tell you what. Get some Vegemite and some Nutella. Mix it together. <laughs> eat it. You don't have to watch the episode. You can just eat it if you want. Just go on an adventure. <laughs> a flavor adventure. Planet Ego is a flavor adventure because you don't know what you're eating. Anyway, what I learned from this episode? Not much. No. I've basically learned the Fantastic Four aren't really working well as a team, especially when the communication is in two different directions. Yeah. Where Sue yeah. is like, I got an idea, let's do this. And then, like, you know, Reed's like, I'm just going to talk to a space god. Yeah, both worked, I suppose. You know, like, but if it wasn't for Reed, they wouldn't have had a chance to distract Ego enough because he was fighting Galactus. And if it wasn't for Sue, they wouldn't have had the, the plan to bring the, the batteries down there. So mm. they were separate plans, but they ended up working together. But yeah, I mean, I was I was happy to, to watch this episode once again. Season two had a lot more fun episodes. I'm never into, into the Inhuman stuff. I mean, we talked about it at length. You know, for two episodes of this podcast with the live action in humans. Didn't like the cartoon version of them either. Uh, but this <laughs> stuff, I love the Galactus stuff. I love the ego space cosmic stuff. The Silver Surfer animated series got more into it too, which is kind of neat. But uh, I do like the Fantastic Four. It's really hard to get a good version of the Fantastic Four. This is like probably one of the best versions is season two of the 1994 animated series until uh, they're part of the MCU and hopefully that'll top this portrayal. But 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. Again, for the 90s nostalgia, you know, the Marvel Action Hour, if you want to get into this stuff. and Also, so many of these characters that are in the movies were in these cartoons. It's kind of funny to go back and compare, especially with, you know, Ego as we did for this episode and, you know, and other characters as well. So, yeah, definitely worth taking a look. And, and also the, the 2006 Fantastic Four series, like I mentioned. Uh, check that out, too. How about the movies? Do you want people to watch those? Yeah, well, you know, like I said, the animated series in 1994, 2006, that'll give you plenty to watch. What was your favorite part about the live-action films? Let's talk about that. <laughs> no. No? They're not bad. They're not bad. They're not bad. They're, they are, yeah, they are pretty goofy. Yeah, yeah, they are what they are. They're not perfect. And, no. uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, their stories are not over yet, so... Yeah, I mean, it's surprising. I mean, you know, many of the actors who appeared in um the those goofy films. I mean, yeah, we never saw them again. Never, yeah. none of those actors moved on to anything <laughs> quite interesting or important. I mean, you know, you look at the who was that random guy who's in the comedy films called Chris something or other. He, he didn't appear in anything else. Oh yeah, yeah, the Human Torch from those, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was pretty funny. I mean, you know, pretty hamming it up. But you know, that that type of acting only goes so far. Yeah, and people get tired of it. But I think what we can learn from the movies is, is is that if you play a Human Torch, you will get a job in the MCU. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. Isn't it funny? You will get a better job playing a more meaty character in the MCU. <laughs> just, just, just play a Human Torch in a live-action movie, and it's like, we'll save you from this. It's okay. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your favorite type of batteries, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Hamish, you have anything you want to plug? An emotional void in my soul. Um, oh, no, sorry. I mean, online. Uh, you can find me on uh, the, the um, Instagram, uh, Sant Hamish. I put some stuff up there. I should put more stuff up there. It's just I've had stuff going on, so, you know, calm down, guys. I'm on Twitter, at Silent Hamish. You can find me there. I'll be posting up some stuff, maybe, when I think about it, with words. I speak good. And um, <laughs> I'm also on uh, Facebook at think Silent Hamish Art, which I also need to update that page because I said it before. And I'll say it again. I have to update that page. I gotta put some stuff up there. I just again, it's Facebook is nice, but it's now just a pinboard for me to look at things later on. I, I literally see it on Facebook. I'm like, oh, cool! I should check out this later on. And then like share it, and then I just go back to it. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. I'm on Instagram, MC underscore and underscore Friends. You can check me out there. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. It definitely does help us out, and we'll shout you out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we're available on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music. Check us out on those platforms as well. And uh, also, if you have a Roku device on uh, TuneIn Radio, you can check us out there. And uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, we have been Hamish and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Here, say, say goodbye, Galactus. And this just goes on forever, right? Yep, pretty much.